Welcome to episode 158 of the Various and Sundry Podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio, beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary, by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who, after this podcast, will be helping us write a grant to get us lots of money. I will John help. Scott Sloat. Guiding, guiding a grant by occasional touch-ins and check-ins. Okay. I am not writing this one in principle. In principle? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's being done currently. I see. I They've see. been at it since about 8 this morning. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of one of your – that's kind of one of your areas of specialty now is grant writing. Yeah. It's been a – it's – Something that I've been successful at that I never thought I'd be successful at, if that, if that makes sense. Like I, like I stumbled into something that I was competent at that I just had no clue. Okay. I don't yeah. know. Just – yeah, let's write a – I mean my understanding of grant writing is you get like 20 to 30 percent of them. And I think at Grace recently, the teams have been getting 75 to 80 percent of them. So yeah. yeah, we've been hitting out of the park in terms of that. That's really sure. good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So – um, After years of not applying for them, we're getting them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been a uh, a bit of a philosophy change there for the better. Yeah, and it's changing things. Like, oh like, yeah, like there's money coming in the door. That's almost always a good thing. It's hard for me to think of a situation where that's <laughs> not a good thing, to be honest. But yeah. Um. So other than that, John, what's going on this week for you? The start the semester starts up, but you're not teaching a class currently this semester. Traveling no, a lot. I, um, I'm online, so I have. Oh, you got an online class. I have okay. eight Greek students online that I work with uh, for deploy. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I get to zoom with them monthly. Okay, uh, they're a good lot. All right. Um, you know, so, some really impressive individuals on there that I that I really enjoy. Good. There's uh, Rod in DC. Um, he might be a listener. <laughs> okay. Out there, out there in the world, you've met Rod. Rod in DC. Yeah, we met him at uh, 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 Together for the Gospel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. And, uh, oh, goodness, trying to think of uh, Jessica in Cleveland, actually. Okay. Uh, she is, I'm pretty sure, is not a listener, but but sharp, sharp student. So Okay. You need to start offering some extra credit for uh, downloads. For, and, for, uh, for downloads. <laughs> and publicity. Yep. Yes. Well, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can reach us on Twitter at VNSPod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. And we would always appreciate a five-star rating and a review on whatever platform you access the show. And if you'd like to take Greek and deploy with me, check it out at seminary.grace.edu. There you go. There you go. Now we're just giving away free advertising space. Well, I mean, seminary.grace.edu did give us free podcast equipment. So, you okay. know, throw, throw them a bone every now and then. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's probably fair. <laughs> I guess I can get on board with that. Yes, that seems that seems fair. Uh, also, I'll mention here, um, uh, if you are interested in another podcast that I do, I am co-hosting oh, yes. the Biblical Theology Briefing podcast with my good friend Ben Glad. And so we are – You're a monthly, a f- monthly podcast. Monthly podcast. Uh, in fact, uh, we're going to record January's episode tomorrow and that probably will launch then next week I guess. So yeah, enjoying that. You might want to check that out. Will Biblical Theology Briefing ever do an in-person pod? 
Like, like, will you and Ben ever be in the same room? Because he lives Mississippi, is he in Jackson? Yes, that's correct. Uh, will you guys ever do one together? Well, um, I, I, w- I would love to do that. Uh, I'm not sure if the, you know, that might be one of those things where you cross polarities, the world collide, getting us in the same room could be dangerous. Mm. But uh, I've been I, in the same room with both you before. It does <laughs> indeed get dangerous. Yeah, we room together every year at ETS and it is a riot. For sure. So uh, I would love to do that. Um, we've talked about doing some recording at, at ETS. In That'd be future. fun. But, but uh, you guys could do the Gospel Coalition. Yeah. Yeah. Not together for the gospel anymore. Not but. anymore. Not anymore. Did I tell you this, by the way? Um, I've been approached about the possibility of doing a breakout at, at, at TGC this upcoming year. Really? No, no. Not, I hadn't heard not that. a solo one, but in conjunction with some other IVP authors. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, what would the t- topic be? Or I, is that My understanding is soon. that the initial discussion is going to be on um, uh, engaging cultural Christianity. And they're going to try to get like four or five of us. And so each of us gives like a mini TED Talk version kind of like just hmm. you know, a 10-minute kind of on a very specific topic uh, going from there. That's my understanding. So this is all okay. you know, not settled yet, but it's in discussion. My okay. people are talking with their people. And will we be recording an episode of the Various and Sundry podcast for the TGC community? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, have we been approached about that? We have session? not okay. been approached. Okay. Just want to double Though check. Though our live episode is coming up for oh, Grace gosh. College yeah. Chapel. That's right. Later this month. What's the date on that? Uh, we're doing that on January 26th, okay. which is a Thursday. So that episode will drop January 31st. Okay. I'm in town that day. That's, oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I had a panic moment. <laughs> I mean, we did commit to this. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. Okay. Otherwise, uh, you might have to contact Brent and uh, reschedule, reschedule that. change the website, all yeah. those things. Yeah, all those sorts of things. So, all right, John, let's talk a little sports here. Um, let's see. Uh, I mean, we're still still in football season. College football wraps up. So we're recording this on a Monday. The Title game is tonight, so we don't know at this point who yep. won. Um, both of us think Georgia is going to win. Yep, comfortably, I think. I think I'm rooting for TCU in that game. I don't know what I want to be honest. Really? Oh, because of how it reflects in Ohio State. Yes. Is that sort of what you're thinking? Yes. Okay. So I don't know. Um, one other college football note. Did you see what's going on with that school up north? Well, I see that their coach might be. Leaving? Uh, yeah, he's inter- he's exploring NFL options, even though, of course, he said, you know, I'm not really – you know, he gave one of those vague I'm staying but not really I'm staying kind of statements that everybody can see through. I'm talking about the fact that they are under NCAA investigation for rules violations. Really? Yes. No, I did not see that. Yes. Hmm. What, so, what violations do we know uh, or – Recruitment issues? Recruiting involving um, contacting high school kids during the COVID dead period and maybe using using a quote-unquote football analyst to do some coaching, which apparently is a line you're not supposed to – again, some of these are dumb. Okay. Yeah. But the bigger issue is is that there's an allegation that Harbaugh 
lied to and misled the investigators, which if you do that, that becomes that goes from a little mini slap on the wrist kind of thing, like don't do that again to a now it's a big deal. Yeah. So hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. I, a lot of the NCAA rules are dumb. Well, and sometimes these investigations were like, oh, my goodness, an investigation. They take yeah. like two years yeah. and I never know. I forget like what was the original problem? Well, they've notified they've they've notified the NCAA has notified the school. So they get, that's the notice of allegations. Mm-hmm. And then I think the school gets like 90 days to prepare a response. And then you go from there. So this one won't drag out. Okay. But here's why I bring it up. I get amused because <clears throat> one of the things that some some again some of the diehard Michigan fans. They have this arrogance about them. That is, we do it the right way. We don't engage in any of those sort of shady tactics or anything like that. They get, they kind of puff their chest out. And when they weren't successful, that was the reasoning they used. Well, Ohio State's beating us and SEC schools are cheating. And so we're doing it the right way. And if that means we can't compete, then we're going to do it the right way. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, if that helps you sleep at night. So, look, I'm not saying Ohio State's clean. None of the major programs are clean. Yeah. All of them have shady stuff going on at some level. I get it. So I'm not – that. that's not a – you know, it's not – it's just a let's, – let's, let's bring the sort of, uh, you know, arrogance down a level of we do things the right way. We, OK. Sure you do. OK. <laughs> Good for you. All right. Uh, on to NFL football. John – the Jets season is over. Uh, yes. Yes, it is. And they finished 7-10. and 10. Mm-hmm. So they lost their last four? Five? Four, four games. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we beat the Bears in there. Okay. So you, you have to have mixed feelings about this. Because I, I do. they My- started off the season well and then faded at the end. Now they had injuries and stuff, so I get that. But sure. They were um, in position to make the playoffs. And then collapsed the last month of the year. Yes, uh, we. I think we lost every game in December. Okay, um, that's that's not good. Uh, now we're quarterbackless, basically. Um, we had Joe Flacco in the game yesterday. You know, you know, he's basically the human version of tanking. Uh, <laughs> and, and we had a lot of injuries. Now, at the beginning of the year, I uh, had said I'd be happy if they went eight and nine. Mm-hmm. Seven and ten is close to that. Yep. Um, so and now the season happened sort of opposite of what I expected. I expected them to lose a lot at the beginning and then rally mm-hmm. against weaker competition at the end. And, and sort of the opposite happened. They played really well at the start of the year yeah. and, and fell off uh, at the end of the year. So, yeah, I think uh, I think next year's still looking bright. It's a young, one of the youngest teams in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have two of the best cornerbacks in the league in Sauce Gardner who – uh, depending on what metrics you look at, gave up one or none touchdowns this year. Mm-hmm. So that's every reason to be encouraged. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Every reason to be encouraged. Uh, Quentin Williams will get a new contract this offseason. Um, I'm sure we'll try to sign a quarterback of some kind. So what? what's their draft position? 13. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting because if they want to draft a quarterback – that's kind of on the borderline of where you might still get a good first-round quarterback or you might have to move up and 
give away some picks to get it. Would you want them to move up? Is there any quarterback that you look at and go, I want them to move up and get that guy? Or are you okay with Mike White? Or are you like, let's just find try to find a, a serviceable veteran? Yeah, if we could get a Jimmy G or a Derek Carr um, okay. with Mike White as the backup, I'd be over the moon. Okay. I think that's probably the path to us winning. Okay. That's probably my preference. All right. Um, I don't know. Rookie quarterbacks just feel like they come to the Jets and, and wither away. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Regardless of their religion. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Um, so elsewhere, obviously the big story over the weekend was uh, a lot, uh, all the tributes being paid to uh, DeMar Hamlin mm-hmm. and his uh, remarkable recovery so far. So far, so good. And um, – yeah, uh, the Bills ran back the opening kickoff for a touchdown. Yep. Uh, very emotional moment for the Bills. So um, good to see that. Um, and uh, to my knowledge, they've not uh, released any information about what the actual cause of the cardiac arrest was. And maybe they don't know or maybe they just don't want to say. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. But um, – one interesting thing that's come out of that is that since the NFL decided not to make up the game, that they had the interesting scenario of how do you factor in the fact that both the Bills and the Bengals then played one less game? And how do you handle seating and then home field? So, John, what did they do to address the uh, home field issue? Well, initially they were talking about adding an additional playoff team with no buy. In the AFC, that was at least rumored on Twitter for about two hours, and Jets Twitter went insane <laughs> because they're like, "We're back in it, baby! We're back in it!" Um, and then two hours later, the NFL came out and said, "That's not true." Yeah, and we were no longer in it anymore. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I think are they just doing a coin flip? So, the Chiefs had a better record by a half game. But if the Bills had beaten the Chiefs, they would have won the tiebreaker with the Chiefs. So they would have been the number one seed. So because they didn't play it, they couldn't tie the Chiefs with number of wins and therefore get the number one seed. So what they did is they still gave Kansas City the number one seed. But if Kansas City and Buffalo meet for the AFC Championship – they're going to play that game on a neutral site and not give either team home field. What what neutral site would you pick? I don't know. What's neutral between Buffalo and Kansas City? Indianapolis. Indianapolis, yeah. Kind I of mean, in between. Basically in between. You can play that game indoors. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you go to the Georgia Dome. That's going south a good ways, though. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of... Somewhere there where there's not going to be a, a an obvious geographical advantage. Yeah. I think Indy's right in between. Indy be a great spot. There's clearly no playoff football going on there. Uh, no, <laughs> no, not at all. So uh, yeah, that's it'll be interesting to see what happens with that if that matters. But um, uh, let's talk a little NBA real quick. Uh, have you paid attention to your Knicks at all? I watch the scores come in. Okay. They're, they'll go on a winning streak and then they'll go on a losing streak and then they'll go on a winning streak. It'll, you mm-hmm. know, four or five games. Yeah. Uh, the Cavs are off to a pretty good start. 
Yeah, Donovan Mitchell's great. I, I love Donovan Mitchell. I think they're currently like fourth or fifth in the East. Uh, Donovan Mitchell's been a huge addition. He had a game last week where he scored 71. Yep. That's rarefied air. Not many guys in NBA history have scored over 70 points in a game. I don't know what the number is. Is, is, is it 10? Have 10 guys done it? I have no idea, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's that or less. I mean, Wilt, Kobe. I know David Robinson had a game where he scored like 73 because they were trying to get him the scoring title like the last game of the season. Um, I think Kobe's done it a couple of times. Has he gone over 70 more than more than the 81 point game? Maybe there was a 60 in there. Okay. There were, there were some I don't high think ones. Michael ever went over set went over 70. Not that I'm aware I of. I think he was he got some in the 60s, but so I mean, you're in rarefied air to score that many points in an NBA game. Uh and did you see not just the number was impressive, but he managed to he missed a free throw with like one second like 2 seconds left. They were down 2. So he missed the free throw on purpose, got the rebound, and put it in to tie the game and send it to overtime. <laughs> I mean, it was just an, a monster game. So, yeah, uh, Donovan Mitchell, big Mets fan, of course, big Mets fan. <laughs> uh, and then college basketball, um, I've started paying attention to that. Um, uh, Purdue was number one last week. They lost and then should have lost to Ohio State, but Ohio State gave that game away. That was unfortunate. Uh, my son Jake was at that game actually in Columbus. Mm. Um, and um, So Purdue is three right now from uh, the rankings I just pulled up? Sure. On is, the a- AP? Yeah. Is Houston number one now? Houston's number one, Kansas number two. Yeah. Um, Purdue lost their first game last week to Rutgers. Um, and then uh, nearly lost to Ohio State and then struggled on for the first half against Penn State. So they've hit a little bit of a slide even though they only lost one game in there. But they're very good. Um, they have a they have a 7-4 kid who's talented. So, you know, 7-4 is hard to guard. Yeah, yeah. Plus if it, <laughs> you, you add in just a little bit of talent yeah, with 7-4. Yeah, just seven, a little four. bit of talent in 7-4, you're pretty good. You're pretty good, yep. Yes. So – uh, and you and I took in a college basketball game this weekend here at Grace. Oh, yeah, we did. Disappointing finish. Our Grace Lancers ranked number four in the country in the NAIA. Uh, lost to one of their rivals, Iwu. Um, and uh, that was disappointing. Um, they did not play particularly well. Missed some key free throws. Had had our big man in foul trouble a good yep. bit of the game. Yep. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, um, probably should move on. You ready to move on? Yep. All right. So today we are continuing our series on the Trinity. And last week we kind of gave a very big, big picture general introduction. Um, uh, this week we're circling back around to um, to talk about specifically – particular New Testament texts that point you in the direction of having to do something, come up with some sort of explanation for uh, the sort of the three summary statements we used last week. Um, There's one God. God exists in three persons. Each person is fully God. How do you put, you know, so each of those statements is easily defendable um, from the New Testament. So then how do you synthesize that into something uh, approximating 
uh, a doctrinal statement. Yeah, and it is mind-bending, right? Yeah. Right. It is, it is something that's yeah, difficult sure. to grapple with, uh, but something the church has grappled with for uh, two millennia. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and again, I, I think this is one of those doctrines where um, we need to do our best to try to explain it, understand it, and uh, faithfully teach it and live in response to it. Um, but we need to make sure we don't lose the wonder of it. It, it makes sense that if God mm-hmm. exists and he's the creator of everything, that he's way beyond and, and uh, beyond our ability to comprehend him. So that if there's aspects of who he reveals himself to be that we go, I don't understand that. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. He's so far transcendent and beyond us that if, if there weren't aspects where you go, I don't really fully get that, then you'd have to question, is he really God or is this just some sort of being of our own making? If you, yeah. you could fully just put him in a box and go, yeah, this is nice tidy categories and this is how it works. So um, – and that's the place for, for mystery. Yeah, that, absolutely. Uh, that's that's a good thing. That should stir worship and 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 uh, and adoration. So, all right. So let's look at some of these texts. We're going to stay in the New Testament this week. Um, texts that that show us some measure of plurality within the Godhead. So we're going to start there. So let's uh, let's let's start in Matthew. We actually, have two texts in Matthew. Let's look at Matthew three. Uh, Matthew three. So we're in the uh, baptism account here of Jesus being baptized. So uh, you want to go ahead and read that for us? Let's read verses um, – oh, let's go 16 and 17 of Matthew 3. Yeah, I got them right here. Uh, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately uh, he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened uh, to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove – and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Okay. So uh, pretty straightforward in one sense. You've got uh, a clear reference to the spirit descending upon Jesus. You've got him identified as the son. Yep. And of course, the one speaking from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. That's a obvious inference of, well, that's the Father speaking. Yep. So you've got Father, Son, and Spirit here at his baptism. So so all three separate. Yes. Right? right? Distinct, I, mean, I mean, there's distinct, distinct persons. persons. There yeah. we go. Um, but all acting in, a, in accordance with one will here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all participating together, cooperating together, working in unison um, for – uh, God's purposes within creation here. Yeah. So um, again, and, and what we'll see as we work through a lot of these texts is the the later sort of Trinitarian formulations are simply attempts to account for texts like this, to put it in a summary fashion. What are we seeing here? How do we understand this? Yeah, and, and while the Trinity is not explicit in the New Testament, right? There's not a there, you know Paul doesn't take you know a chapter in Romans ago. Well, and here's the doctrine of the Trinity. Let's start with the Father. Let's yeah. talk about Him a little bit. Now let's talk about the Son. Now yep. let's talk about the Spirit. He doesn't do that. Right. It's implicit. It's something that's understood as we read 
the New Testament, that, that there's clearly some categories here mm-hmm. um, that the writers of the New Testament have. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And, and I will say, and this anticipates what we'll get at next week, is I think the logic of what's going on here too and what, and what the texts specifically say about the different persons makes it clear that God has always been Trinity. Mm-hmm. It's not like suddenly now in the New Testament he's become this. Yeah, he hasn't morphed. He hasn't changed. It's that this is a fuller revelation of who he has always been. Absolutely. And that's an important uh, distinction to make there as well. Uh, let's jump to the end of Matthew now. Uh, Matthew 28, we've got the famous uh, Great Commission passage. Uh, I know Zach in Ohio is excited about this text every time we reference it because <laughs> he wants to triple dunk people, um, which that's fine with me. I'm, I'm, I have no problems with triple dunking. What verses would you like me to read? <laughs> let's read Matthew 28 verses. Um, let's go 18 through 20. 18? Uh, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay. So very clear here. Uh, Three distinct persons, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet— What's particularly striking is um, Matthew does not say in the names, plural, That's right. of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's in the name, singular. So even here, you've got the, the focus on the singularity, the, the, um, the oneness of God. There is one being, God, but there are still three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So that, uh, again, you you have to have some way of understanding and articulating the what's often referred to as sort of the, the Trinitarian logic of the text. So as you were saying earlier, it's, it's not that there are, you know, explicit detailed statements of God is one, but he is three persons. Like you don't see any particular text that explicitly says God is one. He exists in three persons. Each person of the Godhead is fully God. One essence, three subsistences, like nothing like that. But those, again, are statements that try to articulate in summary fashion what the logic of the passages demands Mm -hmm. in trying to put that together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's go to the next one. Um, Let's do – Let's skip the First Corinthians one, okay, and go to Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. Let's go to Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. Uh, this is at the end of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Very last verse, in fact. Yep, it's part of the sort of benediction there. So if you've got it, go ahead and fire away. Yeah. So Second uh, Corinthians thirteen fourteen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with you all. Okay. So you've got references to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit. So uh, you don't have the mention of the of the Father here, but obviously with this sort of 
Trinitarian framework here, mm-hmm. it's clear that the reference to God is a reference to the Father when you've got reference to Christ and the Holy Spirit there as well. And um, you know they're working together in this context as well, although it's interesting how Paul highlights, attributes – and not that these things aren't attributed to the other persons of the Trinity, but in this particular context, he connects grace with the Lord Jesus, the Son. He connects love with God the Father and he connects fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Now, again, other places connect those realities with oh, yeah. all the persons of the Trinity. So it's not like there's this hard and fast distinction there. Well, I think it was uh, Gregory uh, – oh, my goodness, I can't remember where he's from. Who, it's like Nanzianus or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who says something to the effect of – and this is a paraphrase. When I think of the oneness, I'm drawn to the three. When I think of the threeness, I'm drawn to the one. To, to, in one sense, to speak of one is to speak of all three. Yes. And, and, and the vice versa is true. When, when you think mm-hmm. of the one, also three. Yeah. Yeah, good. Um, let's uh, – last one here. Let's go to Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 where you're going to see the uh, – again, the unity within the plurality here. So let's do uh, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Yeah. Uh, there is one body and one spirit, uh, just as you were called uh, to the one, hope uh, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, uh, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Yeah. So you've got specific reference to each um, person of the Godhead. You've got um, reference to the Spirit in verse 4, reference to the Lord Jesus in verse 5, and then, of course, uh, a reference to God the Father in verse 6. And yet it's all in the context of Paul talking about unity. Uh, it's the, the Spirit produces unity within believers. And, and really there's um, – this is sort of an extension of what's going on here, but um, the this is more explicit in, say, John's Gospel – where you've got um, the sort of love and fellowship that believers experience both with God and with each other is an outworking of God's own intra-Trinitarian mm-hmm. love and relationship between the persons. So uh, – which is, is, is staggering to think about that we're invited into an experience of the love and um, – yeah, I mean just the love experience between the Father and the Son, the Son and the Spirit, Spirit and the Father, like all yeah. the persons of the Trinity. Um, and that's – we get a taste of that even here in uh, in this fallen world. It's remarkable. Uh, now let's, let's hit a few uh, texts that again stress the full deity of each person. You want to do these pretty quickly? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. So um, – this might seem uh, a little off – not off target, but like John 17, 1 through 3 is one of those sneaky, uh, helpful texts here. So you, if you've got that, you can go ahead and fire away. Yeah, John 17, 1 to 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son uh, that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. 
and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, uh, whom you have sent. Yeah. So again, you see um, sort of oneness and yet plurality. But the thing to focus on there is when Jesus says in there, verse 3, uh, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, an obvious reference to the Father there. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you know, you're hard-pressed to find anybody in the history of the church who denies the full deity of the Father. <laughs> like, that's just not happening. Yeah, that's a bold move. Yeah. Uh, so if you're looking for a new heresy to start, you, you could try there. But that's just not something that was ever really discussed or debated. Um, however, deity of the Son, that was one of the first sort of major sort of theological crises within the church. Um, and this is not the place to give a full-throated defense of that, but – you know, if we're since we're in the Gospel of John, we could just turn back to John one, and uh, just look at the first few verses there. Um, yeah, we could do just just do the first verse. Let's just do first do do the first two. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, uh, and the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Yeah. There's an eternality that goes back. Absolutely. Of, of the word. Yeah. Um, there there never was a time when uh, the word was not mm-hmm. is sort of the idea there. Um, when it comes to the full deity of the spirit, this also eventually came to a bit of a theological crisis. You know, once you've got discussion of the deity of the son, then you end up, you know, discussing the deity of the spirit. Uh, I think I mentioned the Acts 5 passage. Oh, uh, I think the Acts 5 passage is huge. Yeah, so go ahead and if you've got it, uh, fire away. Acts 5, 3 and 4. Yeah, uh, but Peter said, and, and this is in context of Ananias and Sapphira selling uh, uh, selling land and saying, oh, we got this much from it when really they got a lot more. Right, um, to make it seem like they're being more generous and kind-hearted than they really are. Right, yes. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie uh, to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of that land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not uh, at your disposal? Why is it uh, that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So you've got that interchange there of yes, you've lied to the spirit, you've lied to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think any reasonable reading of that suggests that that's one and the same. Um, and uh, another passage that we won't take the time to look at, second, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 3.16, um, it makes a similar sort of equation between um, God and the spirit as well. Yeah. So – um, just a few sort of reflections as we wrap this up. Um, now, I, I've been reading a book by Matthew Barrett called Simply Trinity, mm-hmm. which is um, – I've had mixed feelings about it. Uh, it's helpful in many, many ways. Um, but uh, again, w- w- with some of these discussions of Trinitarian doctrine, it can get a little in the weeds. But 
he hit one of his big things is to stress that the um, he, he likes to put it this way, and he's kind of going back to the great tradition of theological thinkers to make this point uh, that the Father is unbegotten, meaning without origin. That the Son is eternally begotten from the Father's essence, and then the Spirit is, he says, spirated. Not a word we use a lot. Yeah. From the Father and the Son from all eternity. So that's how he makes the distinction between the three persons, trying to safeguard the – they all are of the same essence and thus fully God. Everything that makes God God is something that each of the persons has in its fullness. I think I've said that right. I, I believe so. <laughs> I, I'm looking at you like – you're the one with the PhD. Just, <laughs> just go nuts. Um, yeah, but this is also it, an it, area that's not my specialty. Right. Well, yeah. you're not a systematician at the end I of the not. day. I am not. Uh, but um, yeah, these these are sort of the categories, right? The father's unbegotten, without origin. Um, I think in August Augustine's writing, he calls him the principle. Mm-hmm. So sort sort of, but not the first. You, you know, this this is where it gets weird. Yes. Because uh, he's not the he's not the original, uh, but but the principle sort of sort of the one that eternally begets the son. Yes, uh, and him and the son uh, is it. I think another word for spirit. It might be eternally generate. Uh, have, uh, well, have you seen that word elsewhere? No, I've seen generate in connection with the son, but not in the spirit. Okay, I can't remember what word I was reading for the spirit, but um, but it's yeah. This is where it gets so complicated because on the one hand, we're trying to use human language and human analogies and yet immediately qualifying him saying, well, yeah, begotten, but not like – But not like how you think. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So that's where it just gets complicated. Um, And I think part of the word begotten comes from John 3.16, right? Yeah. We kind of are borrowing that from ultimately the translators of the King James Bible. Yes, which is interesting. Um, Barrett, in his book, makes the makes a strong case that um, you know more modern translations have gone away from that. Like ESV, NIV have gone away from that in John three sixteen. They've moved to like one and only or unique. Because mm-hmm. there's debate about whether where that word comes from in terms of its root and all of that. But uh, what's what's noteworthy is his point is it seems. Striking that in the great tradition, all of the early church fathers thought it meant only begotten and not unique, not just unique. And that the word can mean both of those things, but context always points you in the direction of what it should be. And he makes the case that if you've got father and son language in there, obviously it should be begotten because that's yeah. the context. Mm. So uh, it's an interesting argument to say the least. But um, okay. I think that's what we wanted to accomplish today. We, you good with that? I think I'm good with that, so yeah. So next week uh, we'll do Trinity in the Old Testament. Which gets weird and wild. Yes. Very weird and very wild. Weird, wacky stuff. Okay. So you ready to move on? Yeah. Uh, today in sports history, January 10th, 2023. January 10th, 2023. That felt weird to say. It's reality. I know. It, it usually takes me about two months to get used to the year. To the 2023? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, 1982, 
uh, NFC Championship at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. The 49ers uh, beat the Dallas Cowboys 28-27 with the catch, the iconic moment in NFL history where Dwight Clark uh, makes a fingertip catch uh, for a touchdown from Joe Montana uh, with 58 seconds remaining. San Francisco goes on to win the Super Bowl. Yep. That is one of the iconic moments in NFL history. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, did you notice, by the way, though, the NFC Championship on January 10th? Yeah. I mean, there's probably a 14-game schedule. Uh, no, I think it was still 16. 16? But they had uh, the smaller playoffs, I think. Okay. And I think they started the NFL season earlier, and I'm not sure they did buys. I think they just did 16 straight weeks. So that con- condenses yeah. it significantly. Yeah, I mean, even if you take um, a week, a bye week in between the the NFC Championship and the AFC Championship and the Super Bowl, that's still before the end of uh, January you're having the Super Bowl. Yeah, so that means your Super Bowl is January 24th. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. I'm so used to the first or second week of February uh, being the Super Bowl. Well, the NFL is doing what it can to – it feels like they're slowly trying to extend the season – I think in their dream world, they would extend it through the end of February. Absolutely. To get right up to the cusp of March Madness. Absolutely. Next one. Okay. Uh, 1985, Lenny Wilkins becomes the first coach to 1,000 NBA games uh, when his Seattle Supersonics defeat the Golden State Warriors 89-86. Yeah, I think we've had, what, two coaches since then reach 1,000? I'm not sure. Um I was more focused on I the supersonics. The, the, I miss the supersonics. Yeah, which are now the Thunder, Oklahoma City Thunder. Yes, yeah. But there's always like a rumor and murmurs that there's going to be a new Seattle Supersonics. Apparently, Seattle's a good basketball city. Hmm. I don't know why. I but... don't know either. Well, I mean, it's, it rains. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be outside. Yeah, that's true. Uh, all right, 1986, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I got that one. Yeah. Uh, of the Los Angeles Lakers scores his 34,000th career point during a 124-102 win over the Indiana Pacers. Only NBA player to reach that milestone at that time remains the all-time leader. Yeah, I think LeBron's going to catch him if he stays healthy. He's got another probably – If he, I think it'll take him another what, two years I think. I'm not sure. Two I, don't, three I, don't, years. I don't know where he's at. He he will, barring injury, LeBron's going to catch him. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's that's a, that's a whole lot of points. <laughs> um, next one. Uh, 2011 college football, uh, 13th BCS national championship, University of Phoenix Stadium, number one Auburn beats number two Oregon. 22 to 19. Yep. Is that is that Cam Newton or is that before Cam Newton? I believe that's Cam Newton. That feels like the right window for mm-hmm. Cam. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so that was still under the BCS system and not the current college football playoff. That would have been the uh, – there have been a few more years after that. First, The first season to end with the college football playoff was 2014. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So you got a preference out of that? Probably the catch. Hard to argue against it. OK. I'm good with that. Um, do you, by the way, do you remember when the NFL would do uh, commercials for the NFL playoffs with – I think it was Don Cheadle. 
and he got up on a ladder in the end zone at Candlestick. And he's on this six-foot ladder. He's like four or five rungs up. And he's like, this is how high Dwight Clark went <laughs> to make this catch. And he just stood on this ladder and is just like, could you imagine getting this high? Yeah. Look how high I am. He made that catch here. And then they did a, like a little montage, NFL playoffs. Yeah. I will say the NFL does a good job with sort of drawing upon their history to mm-hmm. create iconic um, – to connect fans with the past but also anticipate the future. So they, they do a good job with that. All right. One thing you liked. Uh, so the one thing I liked this week um, is a movie. It's on Netflix. Uh, it's in the Knives Out sort of universe but uh, it's the movie Glass Onion. OK. Uh, one thing I love about the Knives Out universe is they are doing original whodunit movies. Um, with big cast of all famous people because, you know, when you watch a, a cheap whodunit movie, you know like, oh, there's a famous person in this one. Yeah. He's the guy. Right. He's the one. <laughs> yeah. uh, but with this, it's like, man, it could be any of these people. You know, all these people are wildly famous. And so yeah. um, it's it's just really good. And I think the director does a good job of storytelling and creating unique experiences. Really, really good movie. And if you have not seen the original Knives Out, that's called Just Knives Out, it's a a really, really good movie as well. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with a TV show, TV series that I've started re-watching because I enjoy it so much. I'm watching it this time with my wife. I've watched it by myself before. Suits. Did you ever watch Suits? You're a fan of the Royals then. Of the Royals? Yes, Meghan Markle is, is in that. <laughs> that, has, that has little to nothing to do with my interest in the show. I'm just saying she's in it. She is. You're correct. This was before she was a royal. It feels like that show had a had a second – had a renaissance when she – Yeah, probably. Uh, went, went into the royal family. Probably, yeah. Um, have you ever seen the show? I've watched a season or two. OK. It's, it's an interesting premise. Um, you know, there's this New York law firm. They hire a guy who never went to law school, but he has a photographic memory. And uh, yep. it's, it. you know, one thing that it does make you think, and apologies to any lawyers out there, it does not improve your view of lawyers at all. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the reasons I think I stopped watching it is because it was always sort of like, oh, they're just going to double down on their character's bravado. Yeah. Like, like just again and again and yeah. again and again and – I think that was one reason I stopped watching it was just no, – I've watched it through twice. No, once and this will be my second time through. But it's it's good. I enjoy it. So that was my one thing I liked. Nice. All right. We have talked grant writing. That wasn't on the script. A little bit, yeah. We've talked sports. We've talked the doctrine of the Trinity from the New Testament. We've talked about Dwight Clark and the iconic catch – for the 49ers in 1982. We've talked about the movie Glass Onion. We've talked about the TV series Suits. And so I think, by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.